companies, they give external vendors like an MFA token. And as soon as then, if the consultant leaves his original job and goes somewhere else, he still has that access token. He still has that VPN configuration file. So whenever he wants, he can connect into it. And then often of the times you see that a lot of companies, they say, you know, we'll treat all external vendors as the same. So we'll give them the same VPN profile. So that means vendor A can reach the same resources as vendor B as long as they are connected through VPN. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP podcast. Rolf Zulmerman is a Microsoft Cloud Solution Architect who specializes in Azure and Office 365, but also on-premises products such as Active Directory, Exchange, Windows Server, and other Microsoft technologies. Welcome, Rolf. Thank you very much. Thank you for hosting me. Oh, I'm, I'm very happy to be chatting with you today because I know one of the areas that you like to talk about is secure hybrid access. I've also heard it called ZTNA, which is a new one on me, a zero trust network access. But essentially, it is about addressing the hard part of setting up a zero trust network which is providing this modern, context-aware authentication and author authorization to on-premises legacy applications. When, when all this started up, everybody went, oh, wow, this is great. But the problem is this works very well for brand new applications that are being developed or SaaS apps or you know, OAuth uh, applications. <clears throat> but 90% of our apps are on-premises and rely on Active Directory or some other LDAP store. How do we protect them with the zero trust with say, with Azure Active Directory, for example, or Okta? You spent a lot of time thinking about that, right? So Microsoft released the Azure ID app proxy that basically does the translation for you from like the, the new way of authentication, the federated authentication that you see in Azure Active Directory. Um, Okta and Ping have their own products that do the same. Uh, but the problem is, is that most of, most of the companies already have a reverse proxy server um, that they already set up today to do single sign-on against an LDAP store or against Active Directory. Um, and, and why not reuse that same product to do exactly the same thing? So the basis of the problem is that once you authenticate to Azure Active Directory, the outgoing claim doesn't contain your your password, it only contains your user principal name and maybe your uh, login name as well uh, in the form of a claim. So you can't rely on the username password uh, authentication in the backend to, for example, an internal web server. You can only do, uh, 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 you have to like translate the protocol so that the web server in the backend actually can authenticate you based on just your identity from a trusted token itself that is provided by Azure AD. Mm -hmm. Does that make right. sense? Okay, sure. So what are, if you were charged with the task of protecting, say, putting MFA in front of your, well, more broadly, 
let's just say protecting your on-premises applications with conditional access provided by Azure AD, and some of which is uh, active, uh, some of which is MFA. What would you um, What would you do? Yeah, so there's there's multiple ways of doing. It. So basically, what you want to do is you want to take the authentication part away from Active Directory because uh, getting MFA into Active Directory is really hard. And if you already have your Azure Active Directory with conditional access policies with multi-factor authentication already built into it, you basically want to use that authentication to grant access to your internal application that can still rely on Active Directory as a backend, but not for the initial authentication that the user itself does. So what you would do is you would have to have a, a proxy server, and that's either Azure AD app proxy or a third party that translates that Azure AD token that people only get when they do MFA or are part of a, or they have a succeeded conditional access. And then uh, translate that token into whatever the web server itself can accept. And that could either be header-based authentication or Kerberos-based. Now, if it's already Kerberos-based, it becomes really easy, as said, with Azure AD App Proxy or third party. Uh, if it's header-based, you can do Azure AD App Proxy in combination with Bing, or you use your third-party uh, proxy service like F5, Camp, Citrix NetScaler, things like that. I'm familiar with using uh, App Proxy because I, in my in a previous lifetime, I spent a lot of time integrating applications with App Proxy. Not quite so familiar with uh, how this is done with F5. Can you uh, ex or other appliances? Can you uh, explain that a little bit? Yeah. So basically, what you do is for every application that you have, you make a trust relationship between the Azure AD application and then the configuration in F5. So in F5, you create an, a SAML login. And that SAML login is based on the configuration of that application in Azure Active Directory. So as soon as Azure Active Directory uh, provides a user a token and the user comes to the F5 appliance with that token, the token is accepted because of that configuration. And then you are authenticated against that F5 device. What happens next is you can basically say to the F5 device, I want you to run uh, an access profile that says, convert this SAML token into header-based authentication or do Kerberos constraint delegation to the backend server that we configured, right? So the translation between a federated identity and then a legacy-based authentication such as header-based or Kerberos-based, that can be done by the F5 appliance itself or any other appliance that supports it. Right, I see. And I assume it also handles forms-based authentication as well, user ID and password. Um, so no, because because the, the token itself that you get from Active Directory doesn't include your password. So if the backend server does forms-based authentication, I can only send the username, but I don't have the password. So I cannot send the password to the backend uh, system, right? So you have to have your backend system into either Kerberos or header-based. That's the only way you can basically pass just the username and then do the authentication in the backend on behalf of that user in, in, uh, in Kerberos constraint delegation scenarios, or you convert that name into a header and then you send the, the name into a header to the backend application. Okay, okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I encountered in my time with this that I think is wildly underserved, or maybe that's not the right way of putting it, but is really not very well known, is when you have an application that you are configuring, uh, a legacy application that you're configuring to use this type of authentication path, 
is not only do you have to provide the new authentication path uh, to the application, but you also have to lock down access so that the old ways don't work. These are network-based applications. So if you provide a path, if you provide a, a URL that goes through Azure AD for authentication, not only do you have to do that, you have to work through the logistics of blocking the old URL or other ways of, of accessing the application to ensure that uh, users and bad guys can't get to the application uh, circumventing that new path. Yeah. So usually what I do is with my customers is I tell them to set up like a separate URL because of the, the proxying that happens in front of the application itself. And whether that's through Azure AD app proxy or through one of those appliances, you can basically make a secondary path towards that application to test out the single sign-on capabilities. Once that's done and you have validated that it's actually working, you can switch off the old access method and then go only via the new uh, method of access. Right, so in in the in the intermediate time, you would have both URLs accessible. So one would be where you would still have to provide your username and password into the load balancer or reverse proxy servers, and then the second URL, uh, which could be a separate host uh, host name FQDN, that one uses then the Azure AD authentication plus the new credentials, or the new way of of authenticating. Right, that's usually how I set it up. Yeah, I see. Yeah, so it sort of gives you. Um, I guess you could even call it a soft cutover. In other words, you provide access via the new path. You advertise a new path. You have maybe some, if you choose, some period of time where both paths are available. And you say, hey, we're going to this new path. Then after some period of time, you close off the old path. Correct. And basically, basically what you would do is like the old path, you would you would merge it into the new one. So as soon as someone types the old path, it would basically redirect them to the new path. You would basically add the old URL into the new publication of, the, of that application. Right. Uh, do, a, do a redirection of it. Correct. I see. What other aspects of, uh, of this integration do you think our listeners should pay attention to that they may not have already thought about? So the advantage of this is that it allows you to do guest access as well. So today, if you have partners or vendors that are, or, or just consultants that need to connect into your application, um, you would have to create on-premises identities for them, passwords that you know you have to send out. If they leave their original company, you you need to be notified to actually disable that. And that's where Azure AD guest access comes into play, right? Uh, it's one of the benefits of that you can invite an external guest user so they authenticate with their own uh, company ids and company passwords and then they are trusted into your azure active directory so this actually plays a role in that as well so i can actually now assign access to my internal web servers for external guests that don't have a direct username and password for my on-premises active directory um, they would only have their own username and password for their own company, which they use to access my resources. So you're, what you're describing is the B2B collaboration scenario, right? Yeah, but then the B2B collaboration scenario, providing access to your internal applications as well. Right, so the ability to invite guests into your Azure Active Directory tenant and then give them the, the same kind of access rights or a specialized set of access rights uh, perhaps you require that they always have MFA 
or some other type of additional uh, identity assurance to get in. Yep. Yeah, so the additional conditional access rules that you set in your Azure Active Directory for your guest access or for this particular application, and then use that particular access conditional access rule to actually allow them access into your on-premises web server and only web server that you publish, rather than giving them a VPN connection or creating a username and password for them in your Active Directory or uh, providing them with a corporate laptop because all of those things you usually don't want to do, right? Right. I certainly saw some rather complicated methods for allowing vendor access to access their particular application inside a corporate network, both complicated and insecure. Um, as we as we would interview an application and walk through all of their use cases and encounter aspects where, well, maybe this particular use case that was their most common one was pretty secure, but they had other use cases that were not secure because they had just never gotten around to it or it was just too difficult to do. Yeah, you see it a lot, right? So uh, companies, they give external vendors like an MFA token uh, plus a VPN client, uh, and then it's a hardware token or a software token that doesn't even matter. Uh, and as soon as then, if the consultant leaves his original job and goes somewhere else, he still has that access token. He still has that VPN configuration file. Um, right. So whenever he wants, he can connect into it. Um, and then often of the times you see that a lot of companies, they say, you know, we'll treat all external vendors as the same. So we'll give them the same VPN profile, right? So that means vendor A can reach the same resources as vendor B as long as they are connected through VPN. That, that happens a lot. One of the biggest security issues in the identity world is the deprovisioning scenario, making sure that, that people no longer have rights when they no longer need them. Correct. One of the things that I, in my experience, that is super important if you're engaged in a project to modernize your applications or what I call an application factory, to modernize the applications or to put them behind modern identity security is the need for executive engagement and executive support of such a project. Because as you work with these applications, if the application management does not have a clear directive and a mandate to do this, they will put you off and put you off and put you off because it's they already have a full plate. They already have a full backlog. Do you Have you worked with that as well? So a lot of times the, the way that I battle it is I go either in through security or through user ease of access. So every company wants their users to be able to uh, access their applications or access their systems in the most convenient way, right? No one wants to log in three or four times. No one wants to do an MFA three or four times. Mm -hmm. The ideal scenario is someone buys a laptop uh, at, a, at a local store. Uh, they open up the laptop, they go to an application or to a portal, and that's it. And they only authenticate once. Uh, and then they can access all the application through a single session. So that's where Azure AD comes into play because you only need to authenticate once to Azure Active Directory with your corporate credentials. That's where you do the MFA. And then you can open all the applications that are published by Azure Active Directory. Now, because you already have that dual system today where you have your on-premises 
as applications being published by reversed uh, proxy services that you have to authenticate to. And even if you have single sign-on on those, you also have your Office 365, your Azure connections, and everything else that's connected to Azure Active Directory or Okta or Ping or whatever, right? So like the cloud identity um, service. You ideally want to merge those two, so you only have to authenticate once. So users, if they see a portal, the MyApps portal of Microsoft mm -hmm. or whichever mm -hmm. they have, if they can see all their applications that they have, and if they go and go straight from Office 365 to your corporate web application or to another application that you have internally, or even one from your partners, it is way more easy for them to use it uh, like that because it's a unified experience with all the applications. From security perspective, because you now have a single um, a store where you authenticate your users with the conditional access policies, you can also monitor uh, much more precisely what users are doing, when users are logging in, when there's an attack happening. Uh, with Azure AD identity protection, you can see if uh, bad passwords are being used as well. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are advantages you don't get if you only use, if you have multiple identity stores where people authenticate to. You can still get it, but it's going to cost you twice as much to monitor an Active Directory and Azure Active Directory for commonly used passwords or password policies uh, and conditional access and MFA uh, um, actions that are happening. One of the things that your de description of this portal, you know, the My Apps portal or, or, you know, choose your portal name, one of the underappreciated aspects of a project like this is the need for change management. And I don't mean, I don't mean computer change management. I mean user communication, cultural change, the knowledge of how this new world works and the advantages of it, because it is really quite a shift. It's, it's a shift for the application owners to understand how this works and especially um, modern applications. Um, it's, I discovered that at least a lot of the application developers we talked to had never ever looked at OAuth or OIDC. And, and the just your general rank and file knowledge worker uh, working with this such something new like this. Yeah, so it's, I, I completely agree with you, right? It's, it's the, if you want to change the application, if you have newer versions of the applications coming in, uh, if you change your URL for an application because of whatever reason, if you can change it in a single portal, but still have that unified experience for users, whether they're on a computer, whether they're on their mobile phone, or whether they're on an Android tablet. If if the user doesn't have to change their URLs or read the emails of, oh, this application now has a newer version, uh, this is the new URL, please click this one, it helps a lot in the adoption right. and, and security. Right. It's about it's about minimizing friction for the change, educating users and minimizing the friction for the change that it actually makes the things better for them with better security and not worse. Correct. And then if you add the advantages on of, for example, Azure AD device join uh, with Windows Hello for Business, for example, people can now use FIDO2 keys or their device fingerprint or a mm -hmm. pin code to access all the applications and services that they need in a secure way as well. That's right. Well, thanks, Rolf. This is uh, something that is being done right now quite actively across companies. I'm sure you're seeing a lot of these projects, aren't you? Uh, I've seen a few projects like these. Um, most of the people still tend to rely on legacy authentication, legacy configurations. Um, I don't know if they're afraid to do the changes or if they think that it has negative consequences. 
But I think it's something that everybody should be looking at because it, as said, right, it makes it a lot, lot easier. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com. That's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation. 